Good morning and welcome to the AgNow Roundup. My name is Dave Deacon. Canola production in the United States has emerged as a significant crop in the nation's agricultural landscape. It's grown mainly for its high quality oil and canola is known for its versatility and health benefits. Now, when it comes to production, canola is used as a source for biofuels, rotational crops, and enriching soil quality. With its ability to adapt to various climates, canola is grown from Texas and Oklahoma well into Canada, as well as states across the Northwestern United States. We'll talk with Dr. Anitha Shramamula from North Dakota State University about canola production across the Northern United States and Dale Whaley from Washington State University about canola production in the Pacific Northwest. But first, let's take a look at the weather across canola country and the rest of the United States with meteorologist Matt Makins. Matt Makins here with this week's Ag Now weather report. You know, uh, cold at my place. We hit the mid single digits, about six to 10 inches of snow, depending on where on the property you are measuring it. So winter hit hard late October for us, uh, but we're gonna have some moderating temperatures across the country. We'll have more on that in a moment. This show is kind of talking about uh, canola. So let's take a look at most of the Northern US where we've had that drought footprint. It's been there, and at times the drought has increased, especially over the Pacific Northwest. Not to take away from folks down across the South, because certainly the drought footprint has been increasing here from Gulf Coast states into New Mexico, the Central and Northern Plains too. Let's see where that moisture is going to fall during the course of the next week, however. During the next week, the Pacific Northwest has a lot of water on the way. From the Cascades to the coastline, those areas have anywhere from threes, fours, fives, potentially seven inches or more. As you work inland, see these areas around Lewiston, Spokane, toward Helena? Well, you're gonna be tapering down the list. So we're gonna be more like a quarter to a half in some cases with a green coloration. And then as you move into the blues and light purples, darker purples, that's about one to two inches of water. So yes, it's valuable. What about the rest of the plains? Well, we have some water on the way. It's just not gonna be a lot, but this time of the year, it doesn't really take much water to get as close to average. So uh, as we enter the dry season, we're still adding some valuable water here. And again, that's going to be throughout the course of the week. What of that will be in the form of snow? Not much in a lot of cases. Some snow uh, from the Jackson Hole toward Yellowstone and across the northern plains. We're going to have some light accumulation. There's some extreme northern areas that pick up. But most of that water for the week for the Pacific Northwest is in the form of rain good soaking rainfall into those drought areas. So valuable water is on the way there. Now, what about the monthly outlook here? It looks like the pattern is gonna to continue to favor water for the West, mostly the Pacific Northwest, but spreading out from time to times. And then as you get out to the East, there will be another band of some moisture. This is based on history. The weather pattern that we've been watching from late October into very early November continued on to produce this as far as a monthly total. That is sadly drier in those southern plains where we are so deeply in the drought. I think as we get to perhaps the third week of November, we may see another surge of some moisture moving into these areas. So in the end, I'll be most curious about what happens say in Texas and Oklahoma and to southern Kansas. See if history proves itself, or if there's a system that can bring enough water into these areas to make that area a miss, at least as far as history standpoint. But from modeling uh, and this history-based approach, 
The Pacific Northwest is favored in both. The temperatures for the month ahead, it's going to be pretty mild in a lot of cases for the central states, at times into the Rocky Mountain West, but by and large, kind of a hit and miss temperature pattern. Some of this is reflecting the early month cold for the southeast, followed by a warm-up, and then later in the month, we'll see the west cool off yet again. That's this week's AgNow Weather Report. We'll see you the next time. Matt Makins here. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Canola first made its way into Canadian soil in 1974 and then south into the United States in the late 1980s and has become a staple of oilseed production across the world. As a broadleaf, farmers introduced it into crop rotations for its ability to be used for cleaning grass weeds from wheatland while still producing a cash crop. At one point, canola production was robust across much of the United States, reaching all the way down into the southern Great Plains, but most recently, canola production has centered in the northern part of the United States. And what better place to start this conversation about canola than North Dakota and North Dakota State University's Dr. Anitha Shermamula. Dr. Shermamula, just let's dive in. Tell me about canola production across your state. Yeah, canola, like... Um... I don't know how many of you know, but uh, North Dakota is the number one producer of uh, canola uh, in U.S. And uh, within uh, uh, North Dakota, Cavalier County is the uh, uh, number one county, or we have the largest acres of producing canola because um, the weather is so good in this uh, area that is so congenial for canola production. Um, it's, uh, it's a perfect fit for this crop to be grown in this area, and we have uh, uh, the farmers adopted it uh, fairly quickly, and uh, they've been growing since like almost more than a decade, and and it's it's been a fantastic crop in our area, giving us good yields and uh, and. And good profit. Whenever a producer is thinking about moving into canola, what are some things that they need to be taking into uh, consideration? Um, I think uh, weather plays m a major role in this uh, uh, selection of the crop. Um, canola likes that cool uh, conditions during its early stage of the crop. Um, so I think uh, that plays an very important role and uh, pH of the soil, the, so the soil can be anywhere from like uh, medium to like clay uh, heavy soils. It does very, very good in those soils. Um, light soils and sandy soils, I don't think that would be a, a good one. Soil should be fairly, it, it, it does require a lot of nutrients, so um, uh, fairly good fertile soils. Um, pH is anywhere between uh, um, um, 7 to 8-ish. It doesn't like two saline soils um, or acidic soils. So it's kind of like that neutral to a little um, on the um, ab about the uh, 7 pH base. So it, it, it would do fairly between good between 6.5 to 8. Um, so I think those those are the conditions you need to look for. And uh, it, it pretty much uh, does very well in those conditions. You're an entomologist by trade. What what kind of issues do you see with uh, insect pressure in the canola uh, fields? 
the most important and the most serious issue that we face uh, in canola year after year is uh, canola flea beetles and this is the early season pest like like right as soon as the seed kind of emerges from the uh, you know seedling emerges from the ground the flea beetles are ready to pounce upon on the cotyledons and they devour them so we have a very uh, serious issue serious problem with those flea beetles and uh, it's not just us like you know the country north of us uh, canada has been dealing with this issue a lot and i think that's where they kind of moved into our area you know as uh, as a fine food they kind of uh, spread their uh, you know distribution um so We've uh, had this uh, issue so long and it's becoming worse each year because it's like uh, ample food everywhere and like it, it, ke- it keeps those generations continue every year after year after year. So that's a, that's a very serious issue for us uh, early in the season and we've been dealing with uh, it. Uh, we're, we are actually fighting a battle against it every year. But later, like as you move into the flowering and uh, uh, pot development, we have this migratory pest issue, the diamond back moth issue. So that is a, a migratory insect which comes from south. Obviously, it's not, it doesn't my, uh, overwinter in North, North Dakota. Uh, but so, so the migratory pest issues are like, you know, um, when conditions are favorable and when the thunderstorms uh, happen, like early st- early part of the crop season, that's when they, these moths fly in and then they go through a couple of generations uh, during the season and cause damage. When, when it does come to combating the insect issues, what do you recommend for producers, not only in North Dakota, but other folks that may have the, the, the flea and the, and, the, and the moth issues across the United States? Um, so for the, for the flea beetles, our primary uh, method of uh, dealing with this insect is seed treatments. So we rely heavily on seed treatments and I don't think any field in our area that is uh, planted to canola doesn't uh, go in without the seed treatment because that's a must. Uh, that's a primary uh, tool of protection for these uh, seedlings. And uh, we have uh, different g- groups of uh, chemicals that are available. We have the neonics and uh, there are two relatively new uh, groups like diami- diamides and butanolides that are available. So over the years like uh, for the first chemicals that we have relied heavily were on were neonics and so we've been using them for more almost a decade and that kind of put so much pressure on that group of uh, insecticides that they kind of like now their uh, effectiveness is uh, kind of the insects are kind of more tolerating those uh, neonics and they are not as effective as they used to be. But we have these newer modes of actions and uh, um, so seed treatments are our primary uh, mode of uh, uh, defense. Um, you can you can say like, okay, you know, sometimes uh, uh, early planting doesn't go well with because that coincides uh, well with the peak of uh, beetle emergences. So we say like, okay, don't go for early planting. Like, uh, late uh, kind of hold off hold on and uh, uh, 
delay your planting and that will help you avoid some pressure. So that's one of the tactics, but I think that is not working any longer in our area because we have so many uh, beetles. Um, so, but but still uh, in areas that are new and like where a few acres and we, you, don't, you don't have that much pressure of flea beetles, delayed planting will certainly help. Whenever it comes to disease pressure, there's there there can be quite a bit of management. Whenever it does come to canola production, um, so for the uh, for the diseases, yeah, definitely, you know, crop rotation would be our main main uh, tactic that would help manage uh, some of the severe diseases that we have. Like we have the white mold, uh, which where the spores kind of. Uh, uh, survive in the crop residue. So you need to maintain that longer duration uh, so that that can subside the uh, inoculum of the disease. And again, uh, like another major disease in our area for uh, uh, canola is a club root. And it's a soil bond disease again. So the all these diseases, like when once they enter into your field, they kind of like uh, stay there and it takes years and years uh, to, I don't know if even it is possible to make a, flea, a field uh, completely inoculum free, you know. So it's, it's hard, but like we, with the improved uh, crop rotation practices, and then we have uh, resistant varieties, um, uh, suppose a black leg, a black leg and club root, uh, we do have um, resistant varieties that will help with uh, this. When you practice along with crop rotation, they do work well. And then we have uh, fungicides for diseases like uh, white mold and, you know, uh, uh, there are fungicides that would help, but like for diseases like club root, there are no fungicides. So there are, uh, you have to use all the tools that you have in your disposal and use them wisely, know the disease and know their life cycle and, uh, and, and know which tools work for them and use them judiciously. Especially in North Dakota, what are what are some of the crop rotations that work best with canola? We we are very fortunate uh, to have very good crop rotations. We do like uh, um, uh, small grain broadleaf, small grain broadleaf, and so we have like uh, uh, canola wheat and then uh, go to soybeans and then come back to wheat. And then like, you, you we have a very good uh, crop rotation and we have diverse diversity in our, uh, in our crops that helps with not just diseases and insects, but also weeds is uh, that you need to consider that factor too, that will help. And crop rotation is our best, uh, best tactics to minimize many of the pest issues we have. When, when when do the seeds go in the ground and, and when when it's harvest? Um, well, that is variable every year. Okay, <laughs> let me start with that uh, because uh, I say that uh, because this year we had a snow a snowstorm in April, so it's like ours is so variable. So we had a snow uh, sitting on the ground for almost like. Uh, late April. So sometimes you will be lucky that the as soon as the uh, ground warms up, sometimes uh, some years uh, farmers have planted in late, late April. Uh, they, because that's the 
history of growing canola in our area is like get in as soon as you can so that you can take the advantage of that cool uh, conditions. So that has been an, uh, the history. So there were, you, the farmers used to go in as early as late April, but like now when the conditions are not favorable and you have snow sitting on the on the ground, so you have to just push it back. And this year, it was actually like in the second week of May. Wow! So it's like uh, it, it's it's been pushed, and like uh, our trials were planted on the third week of May. Like May twenty twenty first was the day we planted. So anywhere from uh, late April through June. June 5th is a cutoff date for planting canola insurance purposes in our area. So anywhere anywhere from late April to June. So that's that's our planting period. But like uh, the harvesting goes up to uh, September sometime. This year it has been to October. So you it's it's so variable in our area. <laughs> and you mentioned harvest. Uh, do, do you run into issues with shatter uh, in the North Dakota canola crop? Definitely. That is one of our major issues. Used to be uh, in in the earlier years of uh, growing canola. However, uh, the technology and the breeding has improved the varieties. Like now we have more shatter-resistant varieties that are available. Um, when we say shatter-resistant, it, it doesn't mean like 100% uh, shatter-resistant, but they're, they, they've improved, uh, improved varieties. So, in the in the earlier years, the m- main uh, uh, method of harvesting canola was swathing. Like we used to do the swathing, but now with these improved varieties, um, they are going for more straight combining uh, because they are more uh, resistant to shatter, and so, so so that extends the harvesting time, and they can wait for the perfect uh, time for uh, combining so that you will get a better quality seed, less green seed, uh, all these better uh, oil content of the seeds. So it's a, it's the improve, improvement of the varieties as well as like we, uh, the technology we have, like with the, the combining, straight combining. So, um, the, so that in that way, we kind of were able to minimize those uh, shattering losses. Are, are you conducting any research into the future of, uh, of canola across North Dakota? I am involved in, uh, um, in testing the efficacy of those seed treatments, like uh, or how they are, uh, are they still holding up or like uh, um, are just the seed treatments enough? Is just one mode of action enough? Uh, or like uh, we, do we need uh, seed treatments along with the foliar spray? So I'm doing uh, um, that uh, trial and I'm very, very excited to share those results. Uh, we haven't analyzed the data yet, but we could c- get the preview of it. And like, I'm so excited uh, to share those results with our growers because every year I get those questions and I'm very happy that I have the first-hand information with me that I have the research data right that I've uh, conducted right at this research centers that I can share with the growers. Well, thank you so much for going on with us to talk about canola production, not not only in North Dakota, but then also to help producers across the United States. We sure appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dave.
And we moved from North Dakota to Washington State, and we have Dale Whaley with the Washington State Extension Service. And, and Dale, when it comes to canola in your corner of the world, what type of questions do you get from canola producers? So the type of questions that we get uh, generally from people that are that want to transition from uh, uh, you know a winter wheat on winter wheat rotation, and they want to get some rotational benefit from a crop like canola, the first thing they often ask us is, you know, what? how do I plant this? Do I plant it the same way as wheat? Uh, do I seed the same depth? Do I seed uh, the same rate? Uh, you know, how far do I get it into moisture? And, you know, questions like that. What kind of variety should I use? Uh, is there anything of concern when I want to go to canola? And, and I tell guys, yeah, you need to watch your, your herbicide, you know, history. There's a number of different pests that you're going to have to become familiar with. Um, unlike those that attack wheat or peas. You mentioned the insects. What kind of insect pressure do you see in the Northwest? So our biggest problems with canola uh, insect wise is we have a big problem with cabbage seed pod weevil. Uh, what we have found or what I believe is, you know, our neighbors to the North up in Canada, they grow a lot of canola, a lot. And I think um, since we're so close to the Canadian border that uh, some of those insect pests have, have migrated south. They didn't, you know, they didn't stop at the border. And um, yeah, so the old uh, threshold for cabbage seed pod weevil used to be 30 to 40 adults per 10 sweep. So you're looking at three to four adult insects per sweep. Um, that has dropped the new, uh, you know, Canola Council of Canada recently changed that to just 20 to 30 weevils per sweep. So you're looking at two to, th two to three wow. uh, per individual sweep. And we were finding th thresholds up here, um, one sweep, 175. Oh my gosh. So uh, I had a producer that uh, he said, um, I think I might have a cabbage seed pod weevil problem. So I went out there and, and I already knew before even getting out of the truck, I could see that these plants were being just literally um, just nuked by cabbage seed yeah. pod weevil. And so I got out and I didn't even use a, a, a net. I just used a tray and I tapped one plant and got 315 adults. The, the other problems that we've experienced out here in the Pacific Northwest is flea beetle. Um, tiny little guy, hops around, hence the name. And uh, generally speaking, you're looking at a percentage of cotyledon damage um, out here. So, um, you know, anything above 25%, that would be, you know, you might want to consider, you know, putting down uh, an insecticide or if you're in an area where flea beetle is a problem and it's not, um, it's not a, it's not, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not um, the same pressure across Eastern Washington. Um, some areas like Southeastern Washington have more problems with flea beetle. And so that's where I encourage guys to really look at your, your, um, your seed treatment packages, um, you know, get it on your seed before you plant. Um, the other two insect problems that we've seen is grasshoppers this last year. It's not a problem every year, but last year, um, this past summer, I should say, was off the charts. Um, the threshold is eight to 12 adults per square meter. And I was at 27 to 40. Wow. Grasshoppers. And they will and they will come in if, if you got, you know, young cotyledons that just popped out of the ground, they will come in and literally just mow that right to the ground. 
And, um, you know, you really got to pay attention to grasshoppers. And then the last two insect problems that we've experienced are cabbage aphid. And then this last year, diamondback moth, uh, more so in spring canola, but I did see a fair amount of damage in winter canola. The diamondback moth populations were, um, were crazy. You know, we, we were exceeding, you know, over two to 300 larvae per square meter. A lot of producers do integrate uh, canola into a wheat rotation or some other uh, grass rotation. What, what advice do you have for, for folks across the Pacific Northwest who are looking at canola in, in an instance like that? So yeah, so the, the rotational benefits are huge with, that we have found. So out in our area, you know, we have what we call the plow pan or the hard pan, our tillage pan. And we have seen where canola, because of that real big tap root can actually chip away at that and, and, and increase our water infiltration. And because we're in a, well, they say it's seven to 12 inch rainfall, but I think it's more like six to 10 in places. Um, so, so we don't have a lot of moisture. Right. And so every inch is critical. And so when we get those, those timely rains or that snow melt, we don't want that to run off. We want that to get into the soil. And so um, we have found where canola has really increased the water infiltration for subsequent, subsequent crops. We have also found that um, canola is a good rotation um, for obviously pest problems of, of wheat, you know, like Hessian fly mm -hmm. or some other things. I have cautioned growers that, you know, if, if you're coming out of CRP, which we have a lot of conservation reserve uh, right. program acres up here and you want to go in to a wheat or a canola you better be mindful of wireworms because wireworms they're in that crp grass and they like to attack canola they also like to attack wheat so again it's you know be mindful of well if i'm going to plant a new crop maybe i want to invest in a seed treatment and so that's one thing that i that i tell guys um to get to to to, to consider Whenever it comes to harvest time, do you have to terminate the crop or, 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 or what steps do you take towards the harvest season? So when it comes to harvest, uh, what I tell guys to do is slow down. Um, this is, again, this isn't your father's wheat. If I've seen guys just blow through fields and uh, they're like, where's all my canola? Well, it's all on the ground. And um, the other thing that, that I have cautioned people on is, you know, uh, we had one producer out here and we encouraged him because he had a great looking stand. Uh, we try to shoot, um, if we get 2000 pounds per acre out here, we're really excited. Mm -hmm. um, because we've seen uh, in the beginning yields, you know, 700, 800 pounds. And I think our highest yield on record out here is almost 3,500. So that's, Phenomenal, and and if you if you do the math, if you compare it with winter wheat, winter wheat would have to be like fifteen dollars a bushel or something like that. I mean, and and clearly that's not the price out here in the Pacific Northwest. I think we're at like I don't know six eighty. I think right now, um, I haven't I haven't checked uh, lately, but uh, yeah, with uh, with canola, um, again, there's just a number of rotational benefits. Um, water infiltration, um, 
yeah, it's just a great crop we we have found. And 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 what I'm trying to get at is so we had uh, we started to look at those ro- trying to put those rotational benefits to to dollar figures, and we had one producer who did nothing else but add canola to his rotation, and he gained 21 bushel per acre. Wow! What are we? That's amazing. Because essentially, what he was doing is. We were also utilizing, and another great utilization of canola is uh, weed management. So, you know, now we're using a broadleaf crop to help control those plants, those weeds that dominate in our, you know, cereal crops. So, you know, our downy bromes, our feral rye, and that's what this producer had a problem with was feral rye. And so he was able to use canola, clean up the feral rye, follow that with winter wheat, no more weed pressure, 21 bushel gain. That's that's amazing. And, and, and still so, make a crop off of it, you know, be, be able to make a profit off of that crop. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So to answer your question, so do we do anything special out here? No, we don't. We, you know, we uh, we plant the crop in the fall. You know, we, we really watch our moisture. Um, try to get that, you know, uh, half inch to an inch into moisture. And then it, hopefully it survives the winter. And then, you know, come, oh, the month of late July, August, they go in and they just... You know, they don't do a, a burn down or anything. They just har- harvest it just like they would wheat. It's just we want those guys to really slow down. And then the other thing that that uh, one producer learned real quickly as canola, you know, it's a tiny little seed. It's not like a kernel of wheat. And if you have a hole in your truck, your transport truck, you know, to the elevator, that'll pour out like water. And so we've had a lot of guys invest in duct tape. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise, the uh, the side of the road has a nice row of yellow flowers in the spring. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when, whenever it, it whenever it does come to uh, the expansion of the crop, are, are are you seeing a lot of interest from uh, producers across the area? Whenever it, whenever they do look at canola, are, are are they thinking it as a way to? Uh, clean up their their wheat or are they looking at it as just another cash crop yeah so again good question dave so yeah so they're doing it um one uh, to clean up uh weed problems and secondly as a cash crop we have seen producers make more money on winter canola than on their winter wheat crop and we have seen canola um go from one producer planting 700 acres to over 30 producers uh, planting you know, close to 15,000, 16,000 acres across just just Douglas County. So that doesn't include neighboring counties, um, you know, like out, out here, you know, Lincoln, Adams, Spokane, Whitman. So, yeah, so a, a, a huge increase in crop rotation and crop diversity out here in the Pacific Northwest. What makes what makes the eastern side of, of Washington uh, such a great environment for the canola crop? So, well, one, we have, um, in places, we have decent soil. Um, You know, we had a lot of, you know, at one point there was a mile, you know, mile worth, mile thickness of ice, ice, you know, from the, from the, the, the glaciers. And so we have a lot of rocks, but when you, if you can pick those rocks and, and, and find fields that have good soil, um, you know, we, we can have really good canola crops. Um, I mentioned the moisture. 
The moisture is very limited because we're, we sit in the rain shadow of the, of the Cascade Mountain Range here in Washington State. And so, you know, and what's crazy is you can just go, you know, 150 miles and, you know, parts of the state are 28 inches of rainfall. Well, like I said earlier, we're six to maybe, maybe 11, maybe 10. And so it's very, very limited. Um, but, uh, you know, we have, you know, canola likes warm temperatures and, and we have warm temperatures provided you're not seeding. Um, if, if you're expected triple digits, we recommend don't seed because those little cotyledons that pop out, they're not going to like that really, really hot temperature. But, um, yeah, we just, we're, 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 we're just blessed to just have, uh, an area that canola, like I said, we've, we've seen a, a maximum yield of, of almost 3,500 pounds. That's remarkable. Well, Dale, thank you so much for going on with us to talk about the, uh, the, the, the second largest, uh, canola producing state, uh, being Washington state. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the time, Dave. And, um, yeah, just thanks for having me. And of course, thank you for watching this episode of the AgNow Roundup. If there's something on the show that you'd like to learn more about, visit our website, agnowtv.com. Check out our social media, download the AgNow app, and of course, sign up for our email, all at agnowtv.com. And from our farm to your farm, I'm Dave Deacon for AgNow.